0: If you have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 5, Charles Blondin was born in 1842 in France. It's likely most of you have heard of him, even though you're not familiar with his name. Charles, in 1859, was the first man to stretch a rope 1,100 feet across, 200 feet high above the Niagara Falls. And in front of 100,000 people, he walked across. He not only walked across, he did these amazing stunts out on the rope. He walked across in stilts. He walked across blindfolded. I don't know if you've ever been to the to the Niagara Falls, but there's a little boat that travels around. You ever been there? It's called the Maid of the Mist. Because there's always mist coming off the falls. And he took this little portable uh, food device of some kind, cooked a little meal out on the rope, and then took another rope and lowered the meal down to the people on the boat of the Maid of the Mist. One time he carried his manager piggyback across the rope. How would you like to be his manager? We're not too sure about how the story goes. There may be some legend or some truth in it. We know that he crossed one time pushing a wheelbarrow. The story you may have heard was he, and it may be true, he pushed the wheelbarrow across and the crowd cheered. And he was known as the great blondin. That wasn't his real name, but he had another name that people couldn't really understand. And he had blonde hair, so he just called himself Blondin. And he got to the other side with the wheelbarrow and everyone cheered. And he said, do you believe that the great Blondin can do anything out there on the road? Yes. Could he walk across with the wheelbarrow again? Yes. Do I have any volunteers to get in the wheelbarrow? And all the roar that had been yes suddenly... Silence. No no volunteers to get into the wheelbarrow. You know, Charles wasn't asking for a super talented, well-balanced person to walk across the rope with him. That was not what he was asking for. You know what he was asking for? If somebody in the crowd would put all of their faith in Charles to get him across to the other side. You didn't have to take a single step. He'd carry you all the way across. You just had to have faith that Charles could get you all the way across. Well, this story makes for a good opening sermon illustration on faith. That may have been where you've heard the story before. I thought a little bit more profoundly about faith. Faith. When I read another story, and you may have heard about it on television this week, came from the Washington Times, where I read it, Abdul Rahman, I believe is how you say his name, is 41. He was arrested last month in Afghanistan after being accused of being a Christian. According to the law, any Muslim that rejects Islam must be sentenced to death. And this is what the prosecutor said. Abdul would have been forgiven if he changed back. But he said he was a Christian and he would always remain one. Therefore, he must receive the death penalty. So today, a man with two children, 13 and 14, sits in a detention cell in Afghanistan with a death sentence. What... Keeps him there. It's the same thing that got him there. His absolute and unqualified faith in Jesus Christ. That got him there and the reason he's still there is because he's trusted that Christ, no matter what happens, can carry him all the way home. So I've been spending some time thinking about this. I'm a 42 year old man. Most of you thought I was 29. I realized that I'm 42. I have two children, 12 and 14. And I've wondered about my own faith in that position. I'd like to say what I would do. But I wouldn't be so arrogant to say I know what would happen. I've been thinking about you. I've been wondering at Christ Community Church, are we building the kinds of disciples here that have this kind of faith? Are we people not of an extraordinary talent? But do we have a simple, uncompromising faith that no matter what happens, Jesus Christ can bring us home? Do we have a faith that would put us in a cell? Do we have a faith that would keep us in a cell? For the rest of your life. If you're just joining us today, we're in the middle of a field trip. Jesus and His disciples, the teacher with His students. In Mark chapter 3, we saw that Jesus is calling these twelve men... And he's given them two specific tasks. One, the first call for the disciples, be with me. Be with me. I'm calling you to myself. That's the very first thing you have to understand as a disciple. Jesus Christ is calling these people and he's saying, don't get confused. Look at me. Keep your eyes on me. Don't get distracted. It's all about me. You need to be with me. And then once you're doing that, then you're going to preach. You're going to scatter seed. And you see the parables in Mark chapter 4 that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. Well, in Mark chapter 4, verse 40, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. We see that the first test, the first part of the field trip was crossing the lake. A storm comes up. The disciples encounter the storm And they fail the test. He's been talking about faith. He's saying, you've got to keep your eyes on me. And he says, okay, guys, let's go take this faith for a little test run. And they get halfway across this six mile lake. A storm comes up and they feel like they're losing their lives and they're losing their faith. And the question for the disciples in Mark chapter four is the same question for us is in the midst of life storms. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus all you have to have? Or do you have to have your life? You see, Jesus is calling us to something else. He's saying, all that matters is me, not your life. I give life. I grant eternal life. Do you have the kind of faith that even if your life is in jeopardy? You see, it's not an academic question for Abdul Rahman. It's not just something that he's reflecting on now in a detention cell. It's something that's very real. And he has to ask himself. And we should pray for his encouragement. Well, the disciples don't do so well on the test, and so I don't think it's an accident that Jesus Christ brings them back to Capernaum and exposes them to these two people, very unusual people, both commended for their faith. The woman commended for her faith, Jairus encouraged to keep his faith. Mark does something that's typical for himself as a writer, a gospel writer. He sandwiches these two stories. He begins a story, Jairus. He inserts a story, the woman, and in the end, he comes back to Jairus. We've seen that before, I believe, in Mark chapter 3. That's exactly what's happening here. And I want to look first at the woman, and then I want to look at Jairus. Jesus has come back from the other side, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He's returning to Capernaum, which is his adopted hometown. It's also the hometown for many of the disciples. And in the New Testament times, there's maybe a thousand or fifteen hundred people that live in this town. That's about the size of a high school. If you'd live there long enough, you may not know everybody's name, but probably you'd be familiar with the faces in the crowd. 1,000 or 1,500 people. Everyone, of course, knew Jairus. I mean, he was the synagogue ruler. He was a man of standing. He was a a man of power. He was a, a man of significance. His name, not surprisingly, is listed in our text. Probably fewer people would have known the unnamed woman. She has no name, at least according to the text. Maybe they would have been familiar with her face. So she's the one who's got some kind of medical problem. Yeah, you've got to keep your distance away from her. Oh, she had some wealth, but now she's lost it all in trying to cure herself. And you had pity on her or maybe you just didn't have time. She's dying of a medical problem, but she's dying emotionally because she's separated from her people. See, a, a woman who's bleeding... You can't have any contact with. You can't sit where she just sat. So she's basically relegated to be with the lepers. She's unclean and if you touch her, you become unclean. And so she has no interaction, no worship. She has no name. She lives in poverty. She spent everything she has and she's getting worse. I would say the woman has a number of reasons not to come to Jesus. Two, I'll mention first her position. You see, Jesus right here, he's dealing with Jairus. Everybody knows his name. He's important. He's powerful. He has a name. He has an identity. Maybe Jesus just isn't interested in people without a name. Maybe that's what you think. I'm nobody. I mean, hardly even anybody knows that I exist now. After I die, nobody's going to remember my name. Jesus has time for the significant, the power. He's trying to move something in this world, and he only has a few minutes to deal with the most powerful people. And he's working with Jairus, and he wouldn't have time for me. And those kinds of thoughts keep people from Jesus. I think it's worth noting that on the field trip, Jesus comes in contact with three people. Legion, a bleeding woman, and a dead little girl. All three in society have absolutely no standing or no position. I think that's a little clue for the disciples. When I send you out, these are the kinds of people that my heart breaks for. These are the kinds of people that I want you to be around. She could have not come to Jesus because of her embarrassment. I mean, she's tried every alternative. It says in some Jewish writings, some of the most bizarre Things to get rid of this flow of blood. You should sit at where two roads converge. You should hold a glass of wine in your hand and someone should come up from behind you and frighten you and say, be gone. And when you get up, the flow should have stopped. Isn't that amazing? You should pick the corn out of the droppings of a donkey. You should carry it around with you, and that will stop the flow of blood. How would you like to do that? All kinds of mixing of herbs and drinking these things, all kinds of bizarre alternatives to Christ. And instead of getting better, she grew worse. Sort of reminded me of this very sad picture, this mom who called me one day. And she said, "I really want you to talk to my son." And um, I asked her why." And she said, "Well, he's just been picked up out of the church parking lot, which was right across the street from the high school that I was working in. And she went to tell me the story that her son, during lunch, had gone off with some friend friends, and they got drunk. And they came back to try to make it to one of their classes, and he couldn't stand up. So, I I think out of kindness, although it doesn't seem kind at the time, they took their friend and they set him up next to a tire in the church parking lot in between two cars. And then they drove away to go back to their class. And somebody from the church saw him just laying down in the parking lot and called, This was a friend of mine. And he was trying every bizarre kind of behavior to try to find significance and life. And he was laying at the footstep of the answer in a church parking lot. He was so close, but yet he walked around with things in his pocket, with things in his mind, with hopes and dreams that could never provide life. He'd done the most bizarre kinds of things. And I wondered when I talked to him about Christ, would that bizarre behavior just say in his mind, I've just done too many bizarre things? If if Jesus knew the kinds of things that I thought and that I've done, he just wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. That kind of embarrassment, that kind of shame actually can prevent people from coming to the very person who's providing life. So her position, her embarrassment might have caused her not to come to Christ But thankfully, we know the story, nothing, nothing is going to keep her from Jesus Christ. She is going to press through the crowd. Whatever mindset she's in, whatever misunderstanding she may may have about Christ, she's going to forge through absolutely everything rests on Jesus. And her faith is rewarded. I want to just note a couple of things here. Jesus stops to look and listen to her. All this commotion, all this activity, all this energy. Jairus, the important man, we're moving towards his daughter who's dying. And Jesus stops the whole parade to look for somebody who doesn't have a name. It's absolutely stunning. Who touched me? he said. I mean you 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 know the story. The the, the disciples and the crowd. Who touched me? I mean, come on, Jesus. You're a pretty smart fella. We've seen it. Any, any number of people could have touched you. No, no, but somebody touched me in a different way. Uh, some power has gone out of me. And he begins to look around. And the disciples are impatient. They're, they're working with somebody important. What, what would you think if you're Jairus? Hey, I don't know. I mean, I don't care. I got a daughter who's dying. And Jesus stops the whole parade and looks for a woman who has no name. This has to remind you of the story from Matthew 18 about the lost sheep. You remember that? The disciples are coming to Jesus, and they're asking this really hard-to-believe question. They're concerned about themselves, and so they ask Jesus this question. Now, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Can you imagine that? I'm really concerned about my position. I mean, he looks like he's getting a little closer, and I'm wondering if we can change spots. And so they have the arrogance to come up to Christ and say, Who's going to be closer? Who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus pulls up this little no-name child on his lap, and he tells this story about sheep. You see, there's a hundred, and one of them's got away. And Jesus does what no preacher can do. He leaves the 99, and he goes to find the one. He's come to seek And save that which is lost. He's stopping the whole parade of the 99 and say, stop. I've got to go find this one who's gotten away. Seeker. Watch out. He's seeking you. Disciple. Do you have the kind of heart... That God has. Are you more worried about your position in some way or the position of those people who don't know Christ? The unnamed woman. She probably didn't think she had a lot of faith. She's obviously timid. She's trying to kind of come up from behind, just grab his garment. She doesn't want to have any kind of face to face encounter. She's desperate, she's moving towards Jesus. Just a touch and then I can, can sneak away. And what does Jesus do? Well, he stops everything to find her. And then he finds her and he calls her out. He wants to do a couple of things, I believe. One, he wants to make sure she understands That it wasn't touching the garment that saved her. I mean, she could have gone away saying, yes, I touched the garment. The blood stopped flowing. And that garment has power. Everybody else should touch that garment. That would happen today if we found a garment that touched that. We'd all be touching that garment. And he's calling her to say, it's not the garment. It wasn't her step forward that saved her. I want to emphasize that it was not this woman's step forward through the crowd that saved her. See, the reason I say that is because many people have grown up in a church or they've gone to a crusade or they've been at some sort of youth camp and they thought stepping forward was what saved them. And that doesn't save anyone. What saves somebody is Jesus Christ. That's what saves somebody. And he's trying to help this woman understand in a face-to-face encounter, just like with the disciples, it's me. It's me. You keep your eyes on me. That's what's going to keep you all the way home. I'm not looking for super talent. I'm not looking for unusual intellectual ability. I'm not looking for any athletic understanding. I'm not looking for any of those things. I'm looking for somebody who will get in the wheelbarrow and I can personally carry them all the way home. Is there anybody here like that? And the woman says, well, I'm at least like that. And what does he do? This is so incredible. He gives this unnamed woman this incredible title. And I wish I could. I've been searching for the words to try to describe what happens eternally. He he dumps all of heaven's glory, all of heaven's riches on this unnamed woman by holding her head and saying, Daughter! He completely reorganizes her life, her destination, and her identity. Jesus never uses this word for somebody any other place in all of the New Testament. Except for right here. I don't know if she had a name, but if I had had a name, I would have just lost that name and just said, friends, call me daughter. Just every time, just call me daughter. Just keep telling me, daughter, daughter. I'll never forget the words that Jesus said when He looked at me and gave all that He had to me at that moment. Daughter, your faith in me has saved you. That is a picture of grace. Jairus. Jairus had heard about Jesus. And he had some reasons that might prevent him from coming to Jesus as well. Probably the biggest reason Jairus wouldn't come to Christ is his standing and his pride. Look, I'm somebody. I mean, it's kind of fine for sort of weak need, no-named leading women to come to Christ, that can happen. They can come forward. They need that kind of stuff. But I'm a man. And I can take care of myself. And if I can't, I'll buy it. I'll find somebody else who can take care of it for me. But he comes. He's desperate. He falls at Jesus' feet. And I doubt at this point he's asking himself, what would my friends think? What would my dad think? What would the people back at the synagogue think? Because he's got a daughter who's dying and he's in a position now that no power and no money can fix. My guess is if I ask for a showing of hands... Many, many of you would say, I began to think about eternal things when I got in a desperate situation that no power and no money can fix. That might have been the greatest gift that God could have ever given you was an absolute disaster that you couldn't fix. Because then in your desperation, you reach out to something beyond yourself. And I pray that's Jesus Christ. Jairus comes with some amount of faith. That's why he's there. Look in verse 35. But I think it's beginning to slip away here. Jesus was speaking with a woman and some people come from the house. And they say, don't trouble the teacher any longer. Your daughter's dead. Now, put yourself in Jairus' place. He has some kind of faith, but he left his daughter breathing. And Christ has said, I'll come with you. And Jarius must get excited. But there's some real hope. I mean, we only have a few homes here and it's just around the corner. And Christ is certainly going to make it there in time. And he just begins to get in some enthusiasm when it all gets washed away by the news that his daughter is now dead. I don't know if you've had this situation. You come to Christ. You have a real sense of Christ in your life. It's powerful, it's meaningful, it's memorable. There seems to be some forward movement away from some things and some good movement towards some good things. And then like a cloud or a curtain rolls over. And just when you were thought you were you were gonna break through into this glorious life, something dies. Someone dies. And Jairus gets on this very quick but downward spiral. Verse 35, she's dead. Verse 38 through 40, he comes to his house, people are wailing, people are laughing at him for believing in Jesus. Verse 40, We can only imagine he and his wife quietly walk into the room and the daughter that he left breathing is now dead. He has every reason to turn away from Christ. And in verse 35, Jesus, I think, snaps he, he's dealing with this woman, but he hears this conversation. and hey, Don't worry about it anymore. Don't bother him anymore. She's dead. And, and I don't know, but I have this feeling Christ turns and says, don't believe that, Jairus. Look at me. You remember the faith that got you here? You keep looking at me. Only believe. Only have faith. In the Greek, the word means mono. One faith. One faith in me. And so he turns and he says, Okay, Christ, I'll keep having faith. I've heard the report that death has happened, but I'm going to keep walking forward. And then when I walk forward and people are laughing at me, people are scorning me, people are saying, it's not true. It doesn't say in the text, but I have a feeling that Christ leans over. Only faith, Jairus. Only faith. Keep looking at me. When he walks into the room, yes, I'm going to have faith. I walk into the room and I see my dead daughter. And whether it gets said or Jairus remembers in in his head, only faith. I'm not going to look at my circumstances. I'm going to look at Christ. And this is a picture. It's not a picture that if you have some kind of faith, all of your physical problems are going to go away. That's not what this text is saying. What this text is saying is that one day there is going to be a resurrection that you and I couldn't possibly imagine. And for those who have faith. Not in their stepping forward. Not in some sort of garment. Not in any kind of magic. But they put all of their energies in life. Even if you're sitting in a prison cell with no hope of getting out. And you have a 13 and a 14 year old daughter that you may never see again. Only faith. Now we don't do this very often at Christ Community Church. Some of it because I feel like it can be manipulative or manufactured but I'm going to give you a chance to respond. I'm going to give you two options. First, you can respond in your own seat. I mean you know, there's nothing magic about you stepping forward. That's not life. Life is Christ. But sometimes it's helpful In the midst of a crowd. To step forward. I'm going to give you an opportunity just to come up here for a moment. Maybe you're too embarrassed. Maybe you've got a certain position or power. Maybe you're not certain what other people might think. Sometime you have to step forward and let all of that go. And trust in Christ alone. And so I'm going to just let you come up here and you have a moment with Christ. Again, you can have the same moment in your seat. It doesn't mean anything other than maybe you're a little braver if you come up here. The second thing is you may be in a situation where I trusted in Christ. But the cloud has rolled in. And the little faith that you had, you just need someone to say, only faith. Just keep your eyes on Christ. Keep moving forward. Trust in Him. If that would be an encouragement to you, I'm going to stand here to the side. I'm not going to say a lot. I'm just going to look at you. I'm going to encourage you to keep Going with Christ. And then you can return to your seat. Music will play just for a couple of minutes. If you want to respond, just come for a moment and kneel and have a moment with Christ. I welcome you to do that. If you just want to come and just for a moment have a word of encouragement, I welcome you to do that. If you want to just sit and pray, consider these things in your seat, you do that.